episode of can you dig it a podcast by silver screen and roll.com i am christian rebus joined by jacob rude on the back of what can only be described as a really discouraging loss from the lakers um there are games um like wednesday where if the lakers had lost on wednesday you kind of have to tip your hat to the warriors for for playing so hard and um just outplaying the Lakers in games like this. It, it really isn't a matter of, uh, you know, the, the better team won. I think the better team did win uh, on Sunday, the Suns, but I don't know. The Lakers were really bad. And when you're as bad as they were on Sunday, you're gonna your your losses are gonna be bad against good teams. Good teams make you pay for your mistakes. The Lakers made plenty of them on Sunday, and uh, they paid for them. So, uh, first off, let's start just general thoughts on the game. Uh, what what stood out to you the most? Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, from a Lakers standpoint, this felt a lot like Game One of Portland series last year. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lakers played really bad in that game, but it was against a, with all due respect, a Portland team that wasn't that great, and they were able to hang in the game late and only lose by, I can't remember the final score, but it was a close game late. Uh, this was not a close game late, despite the final score being nine, and that was the difference. Is like Phoenix was a better team than Portland was last year, and when we played bad this time around, um, Phoenix made us pay for it. There's there's a lot of things to take away from that game. Um, I would say the first thing, and I know this is just kind of the nature of being a sports fan, this is a seven-game series, and everybody, every Laker fan should be familiar with that because we did this twice last year, mm-hmm. losing game one and winning the series comfortably both times. Um, but the couple things that stood out to me is that like the things we expected to be advantages coming into this game were not advantages. Right. Uh, We, the, it was a whole lot of talk about how the Lakers front court was just going to be too much for the Suns, And Deandre Ayton was far and away the best big man on the court, eight offensive rebounds, 21 points, 16 rebounds total, uh, wholly outplayed Anthony Davis, who I am sure we will talk a lot about. Um, we as we thought, generally speaking, the Lakers had enough perimeter defenders to make life difficult for Booker, and he ended up with 34 points, eight assists, and seven rebounds. And then they just didn't – I mean, this wasn't necessarily an expected advantage, but the Lakers just shot terribly. They were 26% from the three-point line, 60% from the free throw line. They missed 11 free throws and then got out-rebounded 54 to 48. Like, you can't do – all those things and expect to win a playoff game, especially on the road against a good Phoenix team. Yeah. And as good as the Suns were, I think the craziest thing about game one is that there were a a few moments 
where it seemed like the momentum was shifting the Lakers way. And they were just like a big three pointer away from the momentum shifting their way entirely. Uh, Obviously Sunday night was not one of those nights where the Lakers were going to hit those big momentum changing shots shot seven of 26 from three Uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope was especially abysmal shot one of seven from three. Uh, And he unfortunately was on, you know, the tail end of those passes where you're just like, yes, this is going to cut it down to, you know, seven or six points and the Lakers are going to go on a run. Um, It it just wasn't, it wasn't their night in, in terms of shot making Anthony Davis. I thought settled for jump shots more than he usually does. I think more often than not, that's something he's criticized too harshly for, but in game one, I, I definitely there there were a few shots from AD where I'm just like, buddy, just take your time. You don't you don't need to shoot over uh, over the outstretched arms of Mikhail Bridges. Um, so just re- overall, a really frustrating game. Before we get into any individual player performances, though, uh, which I think we'll get into naturally, I want to talk about the Lakers' transition defense because what from- transition defense? <laughs> <laughs> right, well, okay, fair enough. F- from tip-off, it looked like the Lakers were going to try and negate their slow starts on offense or or just their slow starts in general with, with their energy by playing really hard on the defensive end. Like the first possession they had on Phoenix, they rotated beautifully. Um, I, I got me excited for how well the Lakers were going to play on defense throughout the game. And in the half court, and, and in pick-and-roll situations, obviously you have Anthony Davis on the floor. You're going to have pretty decent pick-and-roll defense. In the half court, I thought they did a decent job. In transition, the, the Suns just made them pay for every mistake they made. Um, and more than any adjustment or performance by any one player, I think that's what stood out to me. Yeah, that's kind of a byproduct a lot of times of shooting poorly as well. Long or missed threes lead to long rebounds, which lead to transition opportunities. Not to like let the Lakers off the hook. They were really bad defending in transition. Um and that got the Suns going early. You get a couple baskets, uh, open shots, layups in rhythm, get some confidence, get your uh get your rhythm going and then it the rest of the day feels a lot easier for them. So that was a bad omen from the start. Um, It was odd because it's not really been a thing that the Lakers have necessarily struggled with um, this season. I don't know where they ranked in allowing fast break points, but um, it was just odd to see that because nobody has really done that against the Lakers this year. So, um, I don't know, just everything about this game, I tweeted at one point that it was just an odd game. Like, it didn't feel like a typical Laker game the last couple years, a LeBron AD game. I don't don't really have a feel for for what it was. There were missed rotations, which is typically something the Lakers are really good at, especially under Vogel. Um, There's a lot of wide-open rolls to the rim where people weren't tagging roll guys. Um, LeBron and AD just didn't really seem to ever get going. Um, 
And so the offense was never really clicking. The game, whole game just had kind of a weird vibe to it. And I, I can't really – I mean, the, the Lakers just did a lot of uncharacteristically bad things, like between the fast break defense and the missed uh, – missed, or the – excuse me, I lost my train of thought. The rebounding. <laughs> sorry, the rebounding. Um, just a lot of things that they typically – are good at and the defense in general, I don't know. It was just an odd game that I don't know if it, I really don't have an answer for because they had three, four days off between before this game and they just came out flat. And and that's, I, I, I think if you're looking for a silver lining or a bright side, whatever you want to call it after this game, it's that, yeah, a lot of the things Lakers did were uncharacteristic and there are changes that can be made. I think to rectify that and we're going to take a quick break and, and get into some of the changes that could potentially be made to make the result of, of game two different. Frank Vogel has earned a lot of leeway with his rotations and the decisions he makes because he did all of the right things in the playoffs last year, even going back to Wednesday's game against the Warriors he made the adjustments that everybody wanted him to make a little late, but he still made them. And it's the reason the Lakers were able to come from behind and beat the Warriors to, to be in this position. He did not do that. (laughs) I think on Sunday, Um, there was a stretch where the Lakers played a lineup of Dennis Schroeder, Alex Caruso contain or Wesley. Sorry. It was, Alex Caruso, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Wesley Matthews, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis. And they went on a little run to end the second half. Now, how much of that had to do with the fact that Chris Paul was not in the game? Um, I don't know. (laughs) But they looked good. And it looked as good as the 80 at the 5 lineups looked on Wednesday and how good they looked in the postseason last season. I also think, not just on offense, because I I think the Lakers struggled mightily on offense. They just weren't hitting shots. If shots aren't falling, there's not much you can do about that. Transition defense, however, I think you're in a much better position defending in transition with Anthony Davis at the five as opposed to Montrezl Harrell and Andre Drummond. And to Andre Drummond's credit, I think there were a few possessions where he was really disruptive in those passing lanes. Uh, and just really active on the defensive glass. I do want to give him credit there. I think this was one of his better performances against a good team that he's had all season. Um, I, my, my feeling, and I'm wondering if you feel the same, is whatever benefit you have of Andre Drummond playing decent minutes at center next to AD or Montrezl Harrell, providing that spark for the Lakers on offense off of the bench and making those tough shots. Like he had a sweeping hook shot in the, in the fourth quarter where I was just like, nobody else on the team is making that shot. I'm glad he's on the floor. Um, I just don't get the feeling that those two playing at the level that they're currently playing at on this team is more valuable than anything Anthony Davis does at the center position. So the problem you you have is that naturally AD can't play 48 minutes, particularly at the center position. Um, so you're, I mean, 
it's kind of like how the death lineup with Golden State, like they never started that lineup, and they really saved it for the big moments, and then that lineup would just bludgeon people. And that's basically what the Lakers need to do with the AD at the five lineups. And as you mentioned in that second quarter, they did they did go on a run. Um, I mean, the crux of it, we, we can we can do the AD talk now because AD was just bad. Like, if AD's going to play this badly, it really doesn't matter who's on the court with them, mm-hmm. what the rotations are going to be, who, who's playing center, who's playing right. third. If he's going to play this poorly, it's, it's null and void. Like, the Lakers aren't going to have a shot many nights. He was 5 of 16 in 39 minutes. He had 13 points, seven rebounds. A bunch of those rebounds came at the end of the game in garbage time. Um, he was a minus 18, by far the worst on the Lakers tonight. And this isn't even like a one-off thing because I think on when was the playing game Wednesday? Yeah. He was awful for three-fourths of that game, if mm. not more. So I don't know what is going on with him. He had the big game against Phoenix, said I was back, and then just decided he had nothing left to prove, I guess. I'm not really sure what is wrong with him, but seven of the last eight quarters, he's looked really bad against in, like, big situations or must-win situations. Yeah, and, you know, it's hard because I do think Anthony Davis is a great player. Um, Hot take, I know, but... The, the thing with Anthony Davis since he's been in Los Angeles and I think it even dates back to his time in New Orleans is it seems that there are these stretches where his head coach or his team um, just kind of have to rally around him. And, you know, the, the quotes are always, we, we have to find a way to get him involved. We have to find a way to get him going. And eventually they do. Like, after every one of 80s games like this, he usually has a bounce-back game and plays pretty well for consecutive games. Uh, and I ex- fully expect that in Game 2. I expect LeBron to look a lot better in Game 2 or as, as good as he possibly can look. Um, physically, I don't think he's there yet, and I don't know if he will be there. That's a conversation for another time. Um, but a- I-, I think AD will probably figure it out. I just wish there wasn't this feel like this inevitable feeling that when when AD doesn't have it it's like okay well he doesn't have it tonight that's it um and i i do want to clarify that we are just talking about his offense for the most part i mean he did miss a few rotations on defense in game one that were again we're just uncharacteristic and you know if if you're to look at the things I'm talking about with AD, it usually is on offense, him being aggressive on offense on defense. He's usually pretty consistent. And, you know, even tonight, I, for all the doom and gloom, we've talked about the way the Lakers played. If the Lakers had just made some shots, if Contavious Caldwell Pope doesn't go one of seven from three, we're talking about a ball game, like a, a very serious and competitive game. And I think on most nights where the Lakers are making their shots or, um, you know, Dennis Schroeder or Montrezl Harrell, whatever, they're getting scoring from somewhere else. You can live with 
whatever subpar 13 point offensive production from Anthony Davis because of how valuable he is on the defensive end. That was not the case in game one. And I'm hoping the Lakers don't have to live with that trade-off in game two. Uh, Because when you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis on your payroll, you'd hope that in any series, they're two of the three best players on the floor. Um, I, I do not think that was the case in game one. Devin Booker was incredible. DeAndre Ayton was getting whatever he wanted in the paint with, uh, with Anthony Davis, Andre Drummond, Montrezl Harrell, whoever you throw in there, um, which is having so much success. And then God, the third best player when he was on the floor, I think was Chris Paul. And that's, you know, not, not what you want. I mean, LeBron James, Chris Paul, I think both deserve consideration at that, at number three spot, but I just, the, the Lakers need more from everybody top to bottom in the game too. It's, it's not just a matter of, you know, Anthony Davis playing better, or Frank Vogel making one adjustment. It really is everybody, a, a collective effort to play better and play harder but we'd be remiss not to talk about Anthony Davis's role in how much they struggled in game one. Touching on the point you had about just if they make a couple shots, if they just shoot their average for the season from the three-point line, it's two more made three-pointers. They would have went 9 of 26. And if they shoot average from the free-throw line, it's three more made free-throws. You know what that math adds up to? Uh, two, no, three- I- yeah, two, two, two three-pointers and three free throws is nine points, and they lost by nine points. Right. So, again, this is pretty much what we were saying after the Portland game, or Portland game one last year. They still have to make the adjustments, and they still certainly have to play better. Um, I also, I know I'm kind of arguing a straw man here, but it seems like every game where the Lakers aren't, immediately dominating or Drummond isn't, um, I don't know. I don't even know what it would take. Isn't putting up 20 and 20 in the first half. It's why isn't Mark Gasol playing similar to, I didn't think Wednesday would not have been a good time to play Mark Gasol trying Mm -hmm. to contain Steph coming into today with a healthy Chris Paul. I think it was much of the same. It would have went poorly defensively him trying to contain Chris Paul mm-hmm. and I mean Andre Drummond is more athletic than him and he was struggling a bit to on Chris Paul at least Devin Booker got a lot of open looks from those double screens across the middle of the floor so if Drummond is struggling to keep up defensively like Mark Gasol isn't going to be any better in that regard yeah. now the counter argument is that he opens up things offensively. And if the Lakers are going to look this bad offensively, it might be worth the trade off of helping him or seeing if he can help try to create things. I don't necessarily know that I, I don't know. I I don't necessarily agree with that. I'm not sure what the answer is. I thought Trez, I mean, I tweeted at the beginning of the game that Trez was bad. I think I quote tweeted you. And then from literally the moment I sent that tweet on, he played great, I thought. Yeah. Especially matched up against Dario Saric. He completely – that's a great matchup for him. I would mirror 
almost mere Trez's minutes to Saric because he can absolutely handle that matchup. He can outwork Saric, and I thought he was substantially better than Saric today. He was honestly probably the Lakers' best big man today, uh, Trez. So I guess the argument would be, do you play Drummond? Do you play Gasol? I didn't think Drummond was bad. I yeah. know he's kind of the whipping boy at this point, that whenever the Lakers play bad, it's because Drummond's out there. And it forces AD to stand on the perimeter and shoot threes. Listen, when Drummond wasn't out there, AD was standing on the perimeter and shooting threes. Mm. So putting that on Drummond was not the case tonight. Um, but again, they're pro- as you said, everybody needs to play better. Their problems are not simply play Mark Gasol more or right. play Dennis Schroeder less or some it's not one person or one spot in the rotation. Like everybody across the board has to play better. Like this was, I'm not even, I'm looking at the box score. I'm not sure there was really a Laker. I would say had a good game, like maybe Trez, although he started off poorly. I mean, Drummond was five of seven and almost had a double double in 19 minutes. Um, Schroeder was, all right offensively. I didn't think he was that great defensively. And, I mean, we talked about KCP really struggled shooting the ball. LeBron and AD I didn't think were good. Kuzma didn't score. Uh, Caruso, he was all right. He didn't really do anything other than score, though. Um, So, I mean, I really don't know that there was a Laker. I would just unquestionably say had a good game today. Mm -hmm. Is there anybody you would say had a good game? Uh, I, I thought Caruso competed hard. Um, when you look at, I guess, the level of effort that everybody played with or, or seemed to play with, uh, Caruso and Harold stand out as two guys that just left it all out there. And, uh, you know, that I thought they turned in solid performances. But generally speaking, I agree. I, I don't think you can say that anybody's uh, stat line got left out there or wasted because of the performances of everybody else. I think, again, transition defense is a team effort, and you have to make do with the personnel you have on the floor, uh, whether it's Andre Drummond or Marc Gasol. The only thing I'll say on the, the Gasol point is when things are going as bad as they were for the Lakers today at stretches, I think it's your job as a head coach to just kind of throw the kitchen sink and, and find something that sticks. And when you have, when you have a player as talented as Marcus all on your bench at a position that was honestly getting eaten alive today, uh, I think you have to just try it out. Even if it's, it's for only a few minutes, if it doesn't work out fine, he's back to the bench. You got some cardio in, um, but if it does work out, you know, maybe he, finishes the rest of the or he closes the game or um i think back to the nugget series when frank vogel moved dwight howard into the starting lineup that decision was preceded by dwight howard showing out against Nikola Jokic and making a case for those starters minutes i think the counter argument to that is frank vogel knows what he has in marcus all in that starting lineup and if he has to turn to it at any point in the postseason he can do it starting with potentially game two. Um, but the Suns are, I, I think the Suns are a great team. I don't know if this series ends 
in less than five games uh, uh, either way. And I don't know. I there <laughs> There is a lot that needs to be answered in game two. Yeah, there was a couple more things I'd wrote down. I mean, is there a point where we kind of start to worry about LeBron? Are we sure? I mean, I don't think he's healthy. And, mm-hmm. like, I, he looked good in those two last two regular season games. I'm really starting to wonder if that tweak at the end of the Pelicans game was more than a tweak. Because, again, for a lot of that Warriors game, he just didn't look right, basically. And for a good chunk of tonight, save for a few stretches, he just didn't look right. He's not as aggressive as he typically is, it doesn't feel like. Um, I mean, the jumper looked decent. He was 3 of 7 from 3. I mean, him and Caruso had five of the team's seven three-pointers. Outside of them, they shot 5 of 11, and the rest of the team was 2 of 15. Um so I don't really know. I, I kind of go back and forth as to whether I should be worried about worried about him or if he's all right, if this was just an off game. Because, I mean, so much, like both with regards to LeBron and AD, I thought they played really well in the fourth quarter against Golden State. And that kind of eased some of my worries from the rest of that game where I just kind of thought, all right, they needed to get – get it running, get it going against a good team, and now we'll start to kind of pick things up. And then they did the same thing today against Phoenix, where neither of them really looked right, AD obviously more so than LeBron. And, like, LeBron only having 13 field goals attempt, field goal attempts in a playoff game just kind of feels wild. Like, he played 36 minutes and only got up 13 shots. Are you worried about him at all? Yes. Because... <laughs> uh... <laughs> What what's funny about LeBron is my my biggest concern with him was whether or not he was gonna find his rhythm when it came to his shooting and his finishing in time for the playoffs. Uh looks like he might. I mean, you have that shot against the Warriors and then him shooting as well as he did in game one. That's obviously a really encouraging sign. However, if you are the Lakers, you'd rather have the LeBron James that drives to the basket and is a driving kick threat than the LeBron James, who's still a otherworldly playmaker and, and a good shooter. Um, it's just the, the roster is so dependent on him being Le, the Le, LeBron James at all time. And um, so, yeah, I, I am pretty worried, <laughs> but again, it, it really is just a waiting game with LeBron James and Anthony Davis seeing who shows up on a given night. I think when the stakes are high, you're, you're going to get the best version of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Um, it's just a question of, you know, a, can they afford to coast uh, as the just okay LeBron James and Anthony Davis and still win a series against the Suns? I don't know. Uh, I don't think they can. Um, I again, I'm still not certain which way I am on LeBron because, from like a shooting standpoint, it was so so, but even on nights like tonight, like he's still such an elite playmaker that, like, one of the stretches I really liked is he was in in the second quarter 
at the start of the second quarter, and he realized Trez had the advantage against Dario Saric and went to him multiple times and really got him going. He was drawing fouls on Saric. He was um, getting layups, getting dunks, and it really got Trez going and got him involved in the game and got him energized so that he's running around forcing jump balls, stuff like that. And it's those types of little things that he can do to impact a game that really help out. Mm -hmm. Again, to some extent, if they just knock down a couple more shots, we're having a little bit different of a conversation because he would have had 12, 13 assists and it would have just looked like he was finding the open man all night. Um, So I'm I mean, this was clearly not LeBron at his best. I just, I'm certainly more worried about Anthony Davis right now than I am LeBron. Um, I'm also, I mean, fittingly, it feels this was very far down the list, but Chris Paul's health is going to be interesting now. Hmm. Like, I don't, the Lakers did enough things wrong that I didn't, it didn't really. I think those are the main talking points for the Lakers moving forward. But Chris Paul was not right. Um, I don't. I thought even initially it was a stinger, which you see a lot of times in football. And I don't. I mean, I'm obviously not a doctor, and I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express, so I don't <laughs> really know what happened. Um, but it was very clearly bothering him. He could barely dribble the ball up the court and he could barely shoot the ball. I don't even know if that one shot Anthony Davis challenged, if he even blocked it and it ended up a foot and a half short. Like the only shot I remember Chris Paul making after that was like a slingshot. He threw at the rim um, from like the elbow. And that was about it. It, I think in some ways it kind of the Lakers tried to double Booker after that, and I think it created a lot of confusion for them because um, there were times guys were trying to come over and double, and they weren't timing it right, and they weren't getting to him in time to affect the shot. And then if you're going to double, it typically le- leads to the offensive team having an advantage rebounding, which the Suns pulled down 16 rebounds and you saw Aiton grabbing a lot of those offensive rebounds late. Um, There's Michael Bridges got one and missed the layup. So the Lakers, I think tried to adapt on the fly and I don't think it was very successful, Um, but they also needed to do something against Booker because he was toasting them. Um, So, I guess credit for trying something, but maybe with some more drilling and some more kind of preparation, it's something they do more. I don't know how much you can prepare for a hobbled Chris Paul. I just don't really know what type of Chris Paul there's going to be. But if this is a situation where they're going to plan on doubling um, Devin Booker anymore in the series – that's even less minutes for Gasol and Drummond, I think, and probably more minutes for Trez because then you're going to need guys flying around to closeouts and rotating and things like that. I mean, you, 
we saw it against Houston and James Harden last year. You double him to get rid of the ball, and then you basically help and react from that point forward. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to have – you're certainly not going to have Gasol out there helping and reacting, um, maybe drumming to some extent. But it'll, I'll be interested to see what shape Chris Paul is in. I mean, he still had – some type of impact on the game, even with one arm, basically, it seemed like for the final three quarters of that game. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see that's far down my list of concerns right now, though. Like there's so many things the Lakers need to fix and do right. that um, I wouldn't even really worry about Chris Paul right now. You kind of figure it out once he gets on the court and you see what, how he's playing on airing game two. So I don't know. I guess ultimately it's kind of a make or miss league and the Lakers missed a lot tonight. And I mean, really the Suns look like a two seed and the Lakers look like a seven seed today. Yeah. That's ultimately what it boils down to. The Suns are a good team. Good team makes make you pay for your mistakes. Lakers made a lot of them. Um, yeah. I don't know what to expect in game two. Uh, all I can tell you is, by the next time we talk to you guys again, the Lakers will have played uh, one, two. So the, our next conversation will be after game four. Ooh, uh, that could be a eulogy or it could be a very <laughs> exciting podcast. Right, right. So uh, until then, watch all the film you can. Uh, <laughs> send it to Frank Vogel, your suggestions, or just send it to us on Twitter at Lakers SBN. That'll do it for this week's show. We will catch you next week.